Alright, so once again, we are going to give you guys popcorn for today, so keep your hand up if you want popcorn. Or hawk in the popcorn. As we're doing that, I, I since we are handing out popcorn, it's kind of like a ball game. I am sporting the element softball team colors. Actually, it kind of looks like, oh, element, but, you know, it's, it's okay. Uh, our co-ed, we have two co-ed teams now. Our uh, team that played, I don't know, what do you call them? E1. E1, our E1 team, which I am on. Yeah. We won this, yeah. this week. It was a tough game, though, my goodness. Uh, our E2, our, our other team, did not, but they, but they did a valiant effort. It was a good job. Larry, who usually comes to Sunday night services, uh, he hit a Grand Slam home run. It was amazing. And they still lost, so it was a bummer. But, you know. uh, this is Super Snack Sunday, so if you brought a snack, uh, you throw it in one of these bins on the way in the door for the children so we can keep kids happy and not crying. Uh, if you were like, oh, Super Snack Sunday, I totally forgot. It, we'll be here tonight at 6.30. You can go and come back. We'll, we'll keep the doors open for you, and you can put your snack in for, for the kids. Um, children's ministry, uh, we, if, if, you, if you bring a kid and you walk down the hallway and you went to turn left, you're like, oh, there's a wall there. Uh, if you keep going, then there's another door behind that. We did that for the safety of your kids. Uh, anybody could have walked back where the preschoolers were, and we wanted to make that a little more secure. So, you know, because we don't want, like, anybody's going, hey, look at kids. All right, I like kids. You know, we, 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 don't, we don't want those people, you know. Yeah, okay. So we put in another door uh, in the back so your kids are a little more safe and a little more secure. But in that, we also need some children's workers. Uh, you know, Christy is doing a great job, but we need some more workers for some more stuff. And we will not just throw you in there blind, like, here, just do it. Uh, we'll train you, so spend a little time with you and, and help you. To, so start you off as like a helper even and then maybe work into something else. But she just needs anybody to, to help right now. And I think there's a sign-up sheet on the back table you can go and do that with. And my last thing before we actually get to it this morning is uh, after second service, uh, people actually clean up. Imagine that, right? Uh, and uh, the person in charge of communion is looking for someone who would help clean up the communion stations after second service. We have, I think we have two people that do it now, and if we had like two more, then it could just be like once a month that people actually have to do it. So that'd be great. So if you want to, uh, come, and, come and see Mikey, because Betty's not here, because just let Mikey know. He's the sound guy in the back of the room. Let him know, and uh, that'd be great. I think it takes you all of like 10 minutes or something, so. And usually the messages are not as long as the messages this morning, so you should still be out here early. All right, I want you guys to stand up there, reading to God's Word. This is Isaiah 55, 9. You guys need to lighten up a little bit this morning, by the way, too. Isaiah 55, 9 goes like this. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's God speaking, not me. So just let you know. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we do ask that we as your people would understand that your ways are higher than our ways and that your thoughts higher than ours, and that we would be a people who live as your children, following you so the world knows who you are. Have us be kids in love with their father and loving other people as well. Amen. Have a seat. All right. Uh, if you are new this morning, this week is, again, going to be a little bit different than normal. Uh, come next week, you'll see what we're more like. Basically, it's almost the same thing without the popcorn, and the message is going to be a little bit shorter than it is today. Uh, just if you were here last week, we, we talked about movies, television, books. That's kind of the where every once in a while we're going to do some of these. 
Uh, about five weeks ago, I got up here and I told you that after we finished John, which was a year long, that we were going to do something a little different like this. And so I had a lot of people ask me questions about movies, and a lot of those questions came down to issues of spiritual warfare, angels, demons, prayer, all, all that kind of stuff. So, in, And so what we did is just did a four-week series on spiritual warfare, and now I'm covering the last couple movies that people tend to ask me about. Uh, last week we did The Da Vinci Code. This week we have another movie. Next week we'll get to something else altogether. Now, I could have done this week and last week as a class, and actually next summer I've even thinking about maybe doing like every other week, like film and theology through the summer where we'll get together and watch a movie. You know, not like Inglorious Bastards or something like that, you know, because they'd be like, oh my goodness, but, and also not like Finding Nemo because that's terrible too. But, you know, something good, you know, right? right and, we'll, and we'll talk about some, some of, you know, maybe like The Matrix or something where, you know, all the themes of salvation and that, you know, what are Hollywood filmmakers trying to say being awful lot of fun. But I, I do this this morning because sometimes you need, all of you need the answers because these are questions that are coming up more and more today. So as it is in a normal sermon, just go with me. Everybody got your popcorn now, right? We're good. All right. Uh, every year there seems to be a whole spate of movies that come out that tend to bring up the same old questions that have been asked a thousand times before. Uh, last year, Bill Maher came out with a movie called Religulous. Ta-da! And there is Bill Mar, uh, the word religious is supposed to be religion and ridiculous combined, okay, in, in the one word. Uh, and so he went out and starts asking questions that he considered religious. Now, I want to give you some of the answers to some things that he actually posed in the film. So when other things like this come up in your life, you will know that your faith is not religious. Oh, see, you guys are great. You're, you're all on the same page with me. First off, I want to do this. Personally, I don't have a problem with any of the questions Bill Maher asked in the movie. As a matter of fact, I think those questions should actually be asked. The problem is that Bill Maher didn't ask anybody who could actually answer the questions he was asking. It's like if, if you want to learn about physics and you go up to the homeless guy on the corner and you go, can you tell me about the second law of thermodynamics? And the homeless guy goes, can I have some beer money? You know, and you're like, oh, I knew physics was a load of garbage, you know, because the homeless guy can't. That's kind of what he does to the movie. He goes to ask people who cannot answer the questions he's asking. My goal is not to ridicule the movie at all. Okay, it's to give you answers so you can trust the faith that has been handed down to you. Last week I told you that I do not give you information and answers so you can have ammunition to blow away all the people you disagree with. I cannot think of one person who's been won over to Christianity because of a fight, but I know plenty of Christians who have been strengthened in their faith by knowing the truth and then living that out in their lives with Jesus more on display that has had people see that and come to know Jesus. Okay? So what I do today, I do for Jesus. So eat your popcorn, let's go over the legal list. This is clip number one. This is my story. This is my song. So, as I was looking in the air, I just jotted down a few questions that came to my mind. Are you ever bothered by many, many things that are in Christianity that are not in the Bible? Like original sin, immaculate conception, the virgin birth is only in two of the Gospels, popes. Are you worried that these things okay, came not from the founders, the people who wrote this book, but from, and this is indisputable, but from men, from human beings? It's a fake thing. But well, why is faith good? Why is believing something without evidence good? I don't like the way sure. this thing's going. I don't know what this documentary is supposed to be, but I don't like where you're going. You start disputing my God, and and you've got a problem. I don't know what you got. I'm out of here. You do what you want to do, but I'm out of here. 
Now, you got the guy. The guys in Trucker's Chapel, they really do love Jesus, okay? They do. But I feel kind of sorry for that guy because he doesn't have the answers, so he doesn't know what to do. So he's like, ah, and he just kind of walks out the door. The thing you should do is listen and go get the answer and be able to come back. But honestly, on their other side of that, Trucker's Chapel, really? I mean, that's where you're going to go to get your theological answer. Now, if you're a trucker, I'm not saying anything about you. But seriously, Trucker's Chapel, right? I mean, that's... Okay, I'll take this in order. Uh, original sin. Okay, people are like, what's original sin? What is that? Original sin is humanity's state of sin that results from the fall of man, that you and I are born sinful. Uh, this, is, this is true, and, and you know this because, you know, what is the first word a two- or three-year-old loves to say? No, mine, right? And then they, and, and they, last night we're, we're watching the, the fight, uh, and it's, you know, Mike, the other drummer, has got his little son, Mason. So, so Mike and Mike's over there, and, and John, some other. Anyway, so uh, Mason and Carrie are getting ready to leave, and the coffee table's sitting right there, and there's and there's a drink and some uh, and a roll of tape sitting there, and Carrie's all, "Come on, Mason!" Mason goes, "Whack!" and just smacks, and we're like, "Ah!" and Carrie's like, "Oh my god!" It's what kids do. We are people who are naturally rebellious. We are. Okay, that, that's what we were like. This this is the idea of original sin. That all humanity is born into sin. You're all like Mason. That, that, that's how that works. Uh, what Bill Moore later refers to is the fact that the word original sin isn't actually in the Bible. It's a, it's a word that we place upon this concept, just like the word Bible isn't in the Bible, okay? because it, it's, the, it's the whole book. So anyway, uh, the doctrine of original sin is a Christian concept, a Jewish concept also, and it is not shared by other religions. I mean, it's not shared definitely by something like Hinduism, because in Hinduism, you keep coming back till you get it right. And then once you get it right, you know what happens to you? You get to become nothing. You become one with the cosmic consciousness. So all the work and effort that you did to become so good means nothing. <laughs> Lucky you. You've you got to love that. So it says original sin is not in the Bible. Give a Bible open to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Uh, as you flip there, I'm going to read you 1 Corinthians 15, 21, and 22. It says, uh, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, that's the concept of original sin, so in Christ all will be made alive. That's the concept of Jesus' salvation for us and original sin. Romans 5 verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through what? One man. One man. That's the concept of original sin. As entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin. Uh, slip down to verse 18. It says, Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, that's sin, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as, uh, just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, that's original sin, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The concept of original sin, definitely in Scripture. Scripture teaches it, and at the very least, that if Adam had not sinned, we would not have died. You'll say, well, what about the Old Testament? Is it in there? I'll give you two. There's a lot more, but I've got a lot to cover this morning. So uh, Psalm 51.5 says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Psalm 58.3 says, Even from birth the wicked go astray, from the womb they are wayward and speak lies. This is a Jewish concept of original sin. So we are all rebellious. We're all born into sin. And we all say, thank you, Adam, for that. We totally appreciate it. Way to go, dude. Okay, here's clip number two. We do all know that those texts don't match. Yeah, sure. So Would you expect them to? I'm surprised that things that are very important to the story, like the virgin birth, isn't in all four of them. Wouldn't you really expect 
that kind of discordance when you're thinking about the way in which these documents came into being? But you'd think if you were one of Christ's biographers, that would be sort of an important thing not to leave out. Oh, God, he was also born of a virgin. They don't notice the virgin birth. You know, they, I think that is something that, if you're any sort of a reporter, you put into the story. What editor looks at the facts and goes, uh, yeah, but take out the thing about the virgin birth. That's not interesting. <laughs> you can laugh. It's okay. <laughs> it is kind of funny. Um, Immaculate Conception, Virgin Birth, only two of the Gospels. That's true. It's in Matthew 1.18-25, Luke 1.1-4, but also 26-38. So why would people not put that in? Aha! You know, there you go. The, the Gospels must be false. We shouldn't follow Jesus. Whatever. Uh, the, the writers of Scripture, with the exception of Luke, who was a doctor, were all Jewish. They had an audience in mind when they wrote their Gospels. They had, who am I writing to? What do they want to know? Hebrew thinking is different than Roman or Greek thinking. So you have Matthew. Okay, Matthew writes his gospel to Jews. It is written to Jews. He, and so when he talks about Jesus, he is the Messiah, he is the king who fulfills the law. You have a genealogy that he goes through and it traces Abraham all the way back to Abraham and David with sinful women included because that's what Jews would want to know. Roughly 60% of the gospel of Matthew is Jesus' words. There are numerous Old Testament references. Over 30 Old Testament prophecies are fulfilled in Matthew's gospel. God is called Father 46 times. Complete Jewish idea, and it includes the virgin birth. It includes the virgin birth. You get to you get to Mark. Mark writes his gospel to Romans. He's written to Romans, and so it's like, well, who was Jesus? What did he do? Well, he's a servant, just like many of the Romans were actually servants. So Mark is the briefest gospel. It's divided into Jesus' deeds and his death. Action abounds throughout the Gospel of Mark. There are over 150 present tense verbs in the Gospel of Mark. Over 40% of it is Jesus' words. 18 of Jesus' 35 miracles are in the Gospel of Mark. There is no genealogy and the little attention paid to the first 30 years of Jesus' life. And there is no virgin birth account. Because did Jesus get the job done? That's what the Romans want to know. You get to the Gospel of Luke. Luke is written to Gentiles. That's people like you and I. That's it. So it's written to, written to Gentiles. Uh, and so Gentiles want, Gentiles want to know, what's the perfect man? How do I become the perfect man? What does that look like? And so it is the most historical in detail. It is the most chronological in order. The genealogy of Jesus is traced all the way to Adam, the originator of humanity. So once again, the Gentiles, what's the perfect man like? Jewish traits are explained. There's an emphasis on grace. And Jesus' emotions are highlighted. And it talks about the virgin birth. It talks about the virgin birth. You have the Gospel of John. We just spent a year in the Gospel of John. So who did John write to? Oh, crap, there's a test. I can't believe it. Oh, my goodness. Okay, John wrote to Greeks. Okay, John wrote to Greeks. Remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that for a year. Got it. You know, John wrote to Greeks. Uh, Greeks, they love metaphors. And so you see things like light and dark and bridegroom and bride and, and water and, and all this other stuff. There's always these metaphors going through the Gospel of John. There are very few Old Testament quotes, though there are many Old Testament allusions. Over 90% of John is unique to the Gospel of John. There are no parables given, but there are many I am statements where Jesus clarifies his divinity. Key words in the Gospel of John include know and believe. There is a total reappropriation of Greek philosophical concepts, and there is no virgin birth, but again, many allusions to Jesus' divinity. All the Gospels are contextualized to their audiences, so they make sense to who they are writing to. And so, you know, why didn't Mark write about the virgin birth? Because the Romans didn't care. 
The Romans are like, what did Jesus do as a man? What, what did he do? I want to know that. And so that's what Mark writes about. You know, John writes to Greeks. You know, in Greeks, everything's a god. It's like, oh, I kicked over a rock. There must be a god under that rock. Oh, look, the ladybug. That's the ladybug god. And, and everything's a god to the Greeks. And so everything's a little bit supernatural. And so it doesn't do him much good to talk about the virgin birth. So what does he talk about? Jesus is the one true God that came and died and rose from the dead for salvation for all people. That's what you need to know. And so that's what John throws out there. Now, People say that, you know, well, the virgin birth isn't referenced in, like, John actually references the virgin birth. There's this whole thing where Jesus and the religious leaders are having a fight, and in John 8, 39, the religious leaders look at Jesus, and they say, we are not illegitimate children. Like, oh, your mama's a slut. And that's, that's like fighting words right there. That's what they're saying to him. And, oh, and, and it's great because Jesus, like, protects his mom and, like, goes off on him, and, and it's wonderful. But, but John throws an allusion to the virgin birth right there. They knew the story. People knew it. It was out and about. Now, the Old Testament clearly talks about the virgin birth. Isaiah 7, 13, and 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. You see this again in Isaiah 9, 2 through 6, referring to all of this. I personally also think it is possible that Mary maybe even stopped talking about the virgin birth since most people would not believe her and it made her more of an outcast every time she talked about it because nobody did believe her. And there's really no way to prove that, right? I mean, it's like, let me, you, know, you, you just can't prove it. I don't care. You don't know what you do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the only people this would make sense to in this context would be people who believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Those are the only people it would make sense to. It's possible Jesus also himself didn't tell his disciples he was born of a virgin because that would be weird campfire talk. Hey, guys, I was born of a virgin, by the way. And I'd be like, okay, that's different. You know, I mean, it, it just... It would, it would just be weird. And if that is the case, maybe some of the disciples didn't even learn about Jesus' virgin birth except through Mary. Matthew, who is you know, a disciple and apostle, is very close, learns about wants to know all the Jewish stuff about Jesus, talks to Mary, figures it out. Luke says he does careful research, compiling his book. So it would make sense that he talked to Mary and learned about it. And John also does reverence it. Uh, Mark got most of his information from Peter when he writes his gospel account, so he's kind of the biographer for Peter in that. So it definitely references the virgin birth. Uh, here's clip three. I'm going to stop 15 seconds into it because i got a pet peeve and I'm going to go on a soapbox for a minute. Yeah, okay, so here we go. So, um, Dr. Collins, you are a brilliant, brilliant scientist, the head of the Human Genome Project. Now, here's what's so puzzling is that you are the one scientist. Yeah, read this. this is what... The one famous scientist, anyway, who's also religious. Explain that to me. I would argue... Okay. Sorry, I, I, I can't let that go because they throw things in there so it's just subliminal so you read it and go, oh, okay, and you keep going and it just kind of sticks in the back of your mind. That's a total pet peeve of mine. 93% of scientists are atheist or agnostic in the National Academy of Sciences. Do you know the National Academy of Sciences is an organization you have to apply to get into and then you get voted on if you can actually become a member? They're biased. It, it's kind of like this. At, at Element, we actually have membership and you can become a member. In order to be a member, you need three things. Okay, you, you go to the gospel class because we want you to know basic Christian theology. The second thing is that you're baptized. Not an element. You can be baptized at another church at anywhere, but you're just baptized at some point as a confession of your faith. And the third thing to be a member, you need to be a Christian. Okay? You need to be a Christian. So if, if someone came in and they're like, you know, a, a Hindu or something, and they're like, I want to become a real man, we'll be like, 
uh, are you a Christian? No, I'm a Hindu. I'm like, well, you need to be a Christian to be a member of Element because that's how that works because we believe the members of Element are the main ministers of the body here. We're a missional church. You guys are on mission living in the world as the ministers of the gospel of Christ where you live. That's the point. So it'd be like, well, you're a Hindu. You need to believe in Jesus. Well, I don't want to believe in Jesus. Let me come. You know, well, no, you, you need to. Sorry, I do that terrible accent when I do that. I don't know why. <laughs> Sorry for the podcast. Okay. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So, you know, they, they wouldn't become a member because, you know, we are a little biased. Christians need to be members. And it's the same thing with the National Academy of Sciences. The, the latest thing that I could find, 2005, uh, this survey showed that only 38% of natural scientists, those are people in disciplines like physic, uh, physics and chemistry and biology, said they do not believe in God. Only 38%. That's a far cry from what's actually in the movie. And what I hate is how movies like this and other people try to skew the truth. I mean, you go to your, your first year philosophy class or science classes in college, and they tell you that you know if you're a Christian, then your faith is blind, uh, that Christianity has held science back for years, that the Catholic Church prolonged the Middle Ages by trying to keep people illiterate, and then a few courageous intellectuals rose up and threw off religion and developed modern science, all of which is completely untrue. Uh, Bertrand Russell actually said this. He goes, throughout the last 400 years, during which the, the growth of science had gradually shown men how to acquire knowledge of the ways of nature and mastery over natural forces, the clergy have fought a losing battle against science and astronomy and geology and anatomy and physiology and biology and psychology and sociology. It's a load of garbage. It's a load of garbage. Do you know that without Christianity's insights, without the truths that Christianity found in the Bible and that they then spread throughout Europe, modern science would never have developed? Robert Hutchinson writes this. He says, What we know as empirical science and scientific method did not develop in any other advanced civilizations on earth, not in China, not in India, not in Arabia, not in Japan, not even in ancient Greece or Rome. Only in Christian Europe, among millions of church-going believers, did mankind begin the systematic study of nature, quantified by precise measurement and experimentation, which led to a whole new way of understanding. See, the, the biblical origins of, of modern science stem from certain truths that are only found in the scriptures. The first one is this, that the world is real and it is not an illusion. Many religions teach that the world is an illusion. It's real. Climb to the top of the building, jump off, you're going to hit the ground, you're going to realize how real it actually is. The second thing is that God made the world good. Most religions teach, oh, the world's evil, and so you, you don't study it. But one of the first things God says to the man is that you fill the earth, you steward it, you learn about it. Johannes Kepler, the great astronomer, he said this, I give you thanks, creator and God, that you have given me this joy in thy creation. That's learning about his creation. And I rejoice in the works of your hands. Uh, the third thing is that you realize that Christianity teaches the world is not God. The world is not God. God it's not like Star Wars theology. Oh, God is in the rock and in the tree and in you. you know, that's, 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 that's not how it works. Yoda's better than my Hindu. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Uh, in the apocryphal book of wisdom, chapter 13, it says this, For all people who were ignorant of God were foolish by nature, and they were unable from the good things that are seen to know the one who exists, nor did they recognize the artisan while paying heed to his works. But they supposed that either fire or wind or swift air or the circle of stars or turbulent waters or the luminaries of the heavens were the gods that rule the world. If through delight in the beauty of these things people assume them to be gods, let them know how much better than these is their Lord. For the author of beauty created them. And if people were amazed at their power and working, let them perceive from them how much more powerful is the one who formed them. Beautiful words. Atheistic scientists today would do well to heed those words. Number four is this, that God created the world according to fixed laws. That is why physics 
works, okay? Because God created according to fixed laws. It was Christian scientists, not the religion, Christians who were scientists, who had a belief in a good God and a rational God that made them seek out rational order even before they knew there was a rational order. And the fifth thing is this, that human beings made in the image of God can discover truth. And people who are atheists are forever trying to rewrite and take credit for science, misrepresenting how it came about. Many atheistic crusaders have, have never even been scientists themselves, never even stepped foot into a laboratory. Uh, the Marquis de Sade, Percy Shelley, Frederick Nietzsche, Bertrand Russell, Karl Marx, Robert Ingersoll, George Bernard Shaw, Lenin, Stalin, Jean-Paul Sartre, Mussolini, Clarence Darrow, Anne Rand, all the way to like Larry Flint and Warren Buffett, George Soros, Penn and Teller. None of them were scientists who worked in a laboratory and yet they blast Christians for being unscientific. The true giants of empirical science were either devout Christians or they had a belief in God. Nicholas Copernicus, Galileo. Galileo said the Bible shows the way to heaven, not the way the heavens go. That's, that's a great Hebrew statement, actually, right there, because that's what the Hebrews believe. Johannes Kepler, Sir Isaac Newton, Sir Francis Bacon, Rene Desarge, Robert Boyle, Michael Faraday, James Jewell is the Jewell scale, if you take science. Uh, William Kelvin, there you go, the, the, that, that freaky temperature scale. There's, there's Kelvin, that's him. Um, Warner von Braun, the, the first head of NASA, he said this, scientific concepts exist only in the minds of men. But these concept, but, but these cons, behind these concepts lies the reality which is being revealed to us, but only by the grace of God. But only by the grace of God. Even Albert Einstein said he believed in God. If you read the book The God Delusion by, by Richard Dawkins, he actually tries to reclaim you know, uh, Einstein for atheism. But when Einstein was asked specifically, do you believe in a personal deity, Einstein says this, I can't answer a simple yes or no. I am not an atheist. We are in the position of a little child entering a huge library filled with books in many different languages. The child knows someone must have written these books. It does not know how. The child dimly suspects a mysterious order in the arrangement of the books, but doesn't know what it is. That, it seems to me, is the attitude of even the most intelligent human being towards God. We see a universe marvelously arranged and obeying certain laws. Our limited minds cannot grasp the mysterious force that moves the constellations. And that is completely true. And that is why God reveals himself to us. Because we cannot figure him out. And so God reveals himself through scripture to you and I through the person of Christ. Okay, there's my soapbox. Now, here's the entire third clip. So, um, Dr. Collins, you are a brilliant, brilliant scientist, the head of the Human Genome Project. Now, here's what's so puzzling, is that you are the one scientist, the one famous scientist anyway, who's also religious. Explain that to me. I would argue that if you look at the evidence, that historical evidence of Christ's existence is overwhelming. What evidence? I mean, I've never even heard anyone propose that there's evidence. There's been proof that there is a Jesus. That's, that's been proven. That hasn't been proven. How, how do you figure that out? When I read the New Testament, it reads to me as the record of eyewitnesses who put down what they saw. Well, they, they, you know they weren't eyewitnesses. They were close to that. They were no. within a couple of decades of eyewitnesses. Okay. The records we have are all Gospels. Gospels are not history. Right. Gospel writers never met Jesus, either did St. Paul. No one who wrote about Jesus ever met him. Okay. So, woo, let's just chuck it. Okay, let's go. We're going to go out and get drunk now. Woo. No. That was a joke. Okay. Boy, you guys need to lighten up again, like I said this morning. Uh, 
a couple things. First off, uh, if you guys take communion this morning, I put on the front of the communion tables. If you want one, you can grab it. It's a list of books. Uh, you can grab them, read them. Some good history in there. Uh, it gives you a lot of answers to stuff that are here. You can you can read those books. Uh, uh, there's actually a couple I'd really recommend. One's called Real Jesus. Uh, another book called Gary Her- by Gary Herbermoss. It's called The Historical Jesus. And actually, that's a great book. It actually goes through and, and throws in all the uh, extra biblical sources citing Jesus and him actually being alive and living. Unless you actually want to go read like Tacitus and Eusebius and Josephus, which I'm sure you're all going to run out and buy and then name your kids these names as well. Uh, Jesus was historical. Uh, it's, check it out, read it. Uh, he's there. But I want to do this whole thing about not written by eyewitnesses. And, and again, I hate that he runs around and Bill Markham always asks people the questions that can't answer the question. The head of the Human Genome Project. What does he know about? DNA! DNA! That's his specialty. Why would you go, tell me about biblical archaeology. He's like, I don't know. I look at DNA. That's, that's what I do. You know, it's like, I bet he doesn't know how tennis balls are made either. But it doesn't make tennis balls untrue, right? Okay, thank you. Seriously, you need to go to people who can actually answer the questions. It's like, oh, you're really smart. Let me ask you about this thing you know nothing about. It's, it's, that's not how it works. Okay, eyewitnesses. Uh, all but a few of the New Testament writers claim to be eyewitnesses. You see this in 2 Peter uh, 1 16, verse John 1 1 through 3, Luke 1 1 through 3, where Luke talks about the people he talked to, Acts 1 1 through 3, 1 Corinthians 15 6 through 8, John 20 13 31, Acts 10 39 to 42, 1 Peter 5 1, Acts 1 9. Okay? Eyewitnesses. And if they weren't eyewitnesses, then they're lying, and you shouldn't read the scriptures anyway. Okay, also, some authors were not eyewitnesses, but they received firsthand information from other reliable witnesses. Luke got some of his information from Paul. You see this in 2 Timothy 4.11. Uh, there were he also numerous other eyewitnesses. When he writes his gospel in Luke 1, 1 through 4, he talks about that. Mark receives his information from Peter. You see that in 1 Peter 5.13. Then in 1947, there's a, a shepherd boy, and he's playing around in some caves in the Middle East. And he finds these things that we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls contain many, many numerous books. Uh, the entire book of Isaiah was, was almost intact. Uh, they even found some fragments of the Gospel of Matthew. Everything in the Dead Sea Scrolls are dated, got dated between 200 B.C. and 68 A.D. So you have some fragments of the Gospel of Matthew. I, I think the whole thing was probably there. It just kind of deteriorated because a lot of them had actually deteriorated. They have dated some of the fragments of the Gospel of Matthew to A.D. 45 or the late 30s. Eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5, Paul writes this. He, he uses this line, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. That saying was one of the earliest sayings in the Christian church. It was something they would say to each other. You know, like you would say, hello, and people, you know, some crazy Christians, like, hey, praise God, and hallelujah, and all that. You know, it's, it's like this is kind of a little saying they would say to each other. That saying dates from three to five years after the resurrection. I Witnesses, eyewitnesses. Um, the next uh, clip I'm going to show you it takes place in a Christian theme park. <laughs> Just go to Disneyland, all right? That's <laughs> all I'm saying. Okay, here's here's the next clip. Does it ever bother you that the story of a man mm-hmm. who was born of a virgin was resurrected? Your bio was something that was going around the Mediterranean for at least a thousand years. We've got Krishna, who was in India a thousand years before Christ. Krishna was a carpenter. 
Born of a virgin, baptized in a river. Are you saying that was written in history? That was written down in well, history? Is what you're absolutely. There's yeah. the, the Persian god Mithra, 600 years before Christ, born December 25th, performed miracles, resurrected on the third day, known as the Lamb, the Way, the Truth, the Light, the yeah. Savior, Messiah. God! Blasphema! All I know is that I, can, I don't go by that here, say that, I go by the Word of God. I know that's what I believe. Study the religions of the Mediterranean region for a thousand years before. Many of the gods were born on December 25th. It's no, not a new it's, one. It's not. But when the Jesus story wasn't original. How so? kind of kind of quick I, again I, bill maher got i think he probably got some of his information from a movie called zeitgeist that's this this conspiracy movie that's on the internet right now it's in three parts the first part all deals with stuff like this and and once again it's a conspiracy movie and it's it's a little bit crazy one of the things he actually says to the lady that i didn't put in the clip when he's standing he goes if you study this you will and it's kind of funny because bill maher didn't study it and he becomes the same kind of person that he's actually criticizing throughout the movie which i think is funny seriously a guy who plays jesus he's going to have all jesus answers Okay, all right, that, that, that's how that works. Okay, uh, Krishna. Uh, first off, here he is playing a flute, you know, great. Uh, Krishna was actually about 600 B.C. and not, not 1,000 B.C., uh, born of a virgin. Uh, in Hinduism, uh, Krishna is believed to be the eighth avatar of Vishnu. Vishnu is one of the uh, Hindu godheads. Anyway, uh, a virgin birth is never attributed to Krishna at all, uh, as his parents had actually born seven other previous children. Okay, so it's not... Uh, a virgin birth, uh, and also the virgin birth wasn't something that was invented, you know, by Christians or something like that. The Book of Isaiah, written 700 B.C., spoke of a Messiah who would be born of a virgin. This prophecy is in circulation 100 years before Krishna comes about. Okay, uh, a carpenter, you know, he was a carpenter. Actually, in in the script in the Hindu scriptures, you'll actually see that his father was a carpenter, not him. Uh, he was never attributed to actually be a carpenter. Um, baptized in a river. The term baptism wasn't even in use when the Hindu texts were written, so there's no way he could have been baptized in a river. Almost every correlation between Krishna and Jesus can be traced to a guy named Kersey Graves. Kersey Graves wrote in the 19th century, and he believed Christianity came from pagan myths. His work has been thoroughly disproved by scholars and has been shown to be false and poorly researched, but many people, uh, maybe this movie, especially Zeitkest, refer to his arguments not knowing that they are easily disproved by simply comparing the Bible to the Hindu texts themselves. All right, uh, Mithras. Mithras. Uh, you know, many of the concepts associated with Mithras are actually post-Christian and definitely post-Judaism. I love how he's writing, I don't know, some freaking animal, so whatever that is. Uh, so he was born on December 25th. 
Oh, okay. The Gregorian calendar, where we get December 25th, wasn't in use at that point. So there was no December 25th. Okay, so it, it doesn't work. Uh, if, if you look at maybe some of the dates that you would take their calendar and correspond it to the Gregorian calendar, and maybe find ways when he was born, Mithras wasn't even really born. He was created out of a rock. Is, is how he came into being. But if you take that and look at the places we were created, uh, it could be October 8th. It may translate to September 12th to 16th. There's a cattle pairing festival October 12th to the 16th, somewhere in there, okay? But no, nothing near December 25th. And Christians do not believe that Jesus was born on December 25th. If you do, you're wrong, okay? He wasn't born on December 25th. The New Testament talks about shepherds in the field at night with their sheep. You see this in Luke 2.8, which have been highly unlikely in December. It's usually in the spring when they're giving birth so they can watch over them. The reason we celebrate Jesus' birth on December 25th is because we don't know when it was. And when Christianity started to spread, there, there were pagans who were becoming believers. And they didn't just want to take everything away from them. So what they did is they said, well, well let's celebrate Christ's birth during this winter solstice on December 25th. And that's what they did. That's how it came about on that date. You worship Jesus here. You guys already have a festival. Let's just, you know what, let's just worship Jesus at that. And so there you go, December 25th. Um, resurrected on the third day. Uh, there is actually no resurrection account actually attributed to Mithras because Mithras is never said to have died. Okay? So he was actually, he completes his earthly mission. He is taken up into paradise in a chariot, alive and well. So he never dies. So there's no crucifixion. He's called the Lamb, the Way, the Truth, the Life, the Savior, Messiah. These are all post-Christian add-ons. The only titles ever given to Mithras in the Old uh, texts are great God, chief of the powers, master of heaven, and avenger of his fathers. None of the other titles are in the mythology whatsoever. Horus. Okay? I, I love Horus, not just because of his name, but, but Horus. Okay? Uh, Horus is the son of Osiris. There are many different accounts of Horus. Uh, none of them actually include a virgin birth. Uh, there, there's, there's two major ones. The, the first one is you got a lady, her name's Hathor, and her husband is Ra, the sun god, and it's, it's very kind of dirty. So, needless to say, it's not a virgin birth. Okay, you, you could buy it at the video store, but we won't talk about it. Uh, version two, <laughs> version two uh, is the one that's actually in the movie, and this is this is Isis. Isis then is Horus's mother. You are told Isis is not a virgin; she is actually the widow of Osiris. Osiris is dismembered, and so she goes out. Isis goes out to find all of his pieces to put him back together because she wants to have a son. And when she finds all of his pieces, she can't find his piece, his member. <laughs> His manhood, she can't find it. So what she does instead is she just raises him from the dead. Okay, so raise from the dead. They have sex. They she, he, she conceives from sperm and she gets pregnant. No virgin birth. Okay, yeah, it's creepy, but it's not a virgin birth. Okay, uh, baptized in a river. Uh, Horace was never baptized in any record previous to the 19th century. And baptism again is not a word that even the Egyptians had in their vocabulary. Uh, tempted in the desert. Not in any of the ancient manuscripts. Healed the sick, the blind, cast out demons, walked on water. He did perform certain miracles because he's an Egyptian god. Okay, and that's what they do. Uh, but he never actually exercised demons or walked on water in any account. Uh, raised Asar from the dead. And Asar translates as Lazarus. That's not true. Actually, Asar is another name for Osiris. Okay, his father. And who raised Osiris from the dead? Isis did, right? And then she had sex with him. And if, and if Horus did that, that would also be another story altogether and be really weird and creepy. Um, twelve disciples. He had twelve disciples. Horus did not have twelve disciples. Horus had four semi-divine disciples that followed him around called Harashimsus, which means followers of Horus. Uh, later, uh, a few hundred years after the Horus myth kind of came about, 
he became associated with Ra and then associated with the sun god. And they took the symbols of the zodiac. And they said, oh, well, the, these are the people that surround Horus now. You know, so I guess 12 symbols of the zodiac, okay. 12 disciples, whatever. Jesus' disciples, they were actual men who lived, died, uh, whose writings exist to this day, and whose lives are recorded by historians. Uh, Horus crucified, you know, so no. Crucifixion actually hadn't been invented yet when the myth came about. Horus is actually never said to have died, much less be crucified, okay, or died whatsoever, so there's no resurrection, none of the other stuff that goes along with that. Uh, those stories actually came about in, in around the 9th century. Uh, the only one we actually see him die uh, is, again, in the 9th century. And he's dismembered and cast into a river, and Isis calls some crocodiles to bring him back out of the river so you know she can kind of see her son again. Again, it's the only story about him actually being killed at all. What drives me nuts about religious is it goes is it goes through all this stuff, but it doesn't note the many archaeological details confirming the New Testament accounts, uh, the historically confirmed references to the details of the life of Jesus Christ, the early date of the gospel accounts during the lifetime of the eyewitnesses, the deep moral convictions of the authors of Scripture and their commitment to the truth. It doesn't look at the accounts of the apostles going to their deaths for what they believe, and it doesn't take into account all the good that has been produced by Christianity. It only points to the crusade. And some, and some other stuff. I will tell you this. Uh, it's not on the list because I forgot to put it on there, but there is a book called How Christianity Changed the World by Dr. Alvin Schmidt. And if you want a book that talks about all the good Christianity has done, read that book. It's, you'll find a whole bunch of things you never even knew that Christianity contributed to the world that is actually good. Now, I want to leave you with this clip because I actually believe with Bill, uh, agree with Bill Maher on this clip. So. Let me ask you this question. What if we write and you wrong? We we gonna make it, and you ain't. If you're do if you're being good just to save your ass, just because ooh they might be right, and I just want to double down here and make sure that when I get up to the pearly gates, that Saint Peter doesn't say to me, "Oh, sorry, all you had the wrong religion. Enjoy hell. Bye bye." Well, only thing I'm gonna say that's is not this. a good reason, and you know that. Come on, believe in Jesus. What do you have to lose? <laughs> it's like the lotto. You can't get saved if you don't play. See, I. That, that's not a good argument. You know, what if I'm right and you're wrong? You go to hell and I go to, and oh, oh, oh. you know, it's, it's like I win, you lose. That, that's not the point. That's not the point. The Apostle Paul, I think, would agree. It, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 20, Paul says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Apart from a living God, apart from Jesus coming and dying and rising from the dead, we are fools. And we should be pitied because we made him up in our own minds. But Paul in verse 20 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. I mean, you can believe the scriptures that have been given to you by eyewitnesses. Paul himself got to see Jesus as Jesus beat him up. You know? It's like, I think I remember Jesus beating me up. Jesus is unique, one of a kind. He calls you to belief in Him. See, that, that belief is not just about when you die. It is about how you live today. It's not about, oh, what if I'm right and you're wrong and I get to heaven and I go in and you've got to go burn. That is not the point. The point is how you live. God calls us to a life today. The gospel is good news for everybody you come into contact with, even if they don't believe, because you're living out the gospel. That is the point. You know, these arguments, again, against Scripture and all this have been around for a long time. Because it would be much easier to believe if it was not true. You could do whatever you want and go be plant food. Right? But then there would be no hope whatsoever. And God is a God of hope. 
and redemption and love and grace. And God has revealed himself in the person of Christ and he has called every person to come home. We need to be those who trust him. And if you come across something somewhere where somebody asks a question that you cannot answer, there is an answer. There is an answer. And your faith should stay strong. You don't drop into every stupid argument you know nothing about. I, I, I feel sorry for Bill Maher because as the movie goes on, he seems lonely and sad. And I think, my goodness, God wants to give him hope. You are a people who can live in hope, and you never have to be lonely because Jesus promises to journey this life with you. You never have to be lost. You can have the relationship with God that you were always made for through the person of Christ. God calls us to something unique and something amazing, restoring our lives so we can be his ambassadors to the world in which we live. We get to be that. And you may not always have the answers. You you might be at the Trekker Chapel one day going, I don't know what to say. I'm going to throw something at you because I don't have an argument. You know, but there are, there, there, are, there are good answers to all these things that people bring up. You know, Jesus is unique. He is one of a kind. He calls all of us to believe. This morning, we are going to take communion. I you know, bring you here every week. And communion, we remember. You know, Christ died for us. You take that cracker and you break it like his body was broken for you and I. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, which reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. And we remember that he did come and he did die and he did rise for you and I so that we can have a faith that is real and true. Uh, Starting next week, we're going to do a six-week series called Empire. And I encourage all of you guys to come for those six weeks because they're all going to tie together and it all ends up about how we are supposed to live, what that looks like on the other side, this, this life of Christ living in and through as the kingdom of God alive today. It's going to be really cool, so you should all... We're going to worship God through song. The band's going to come back up. And as they do, I invite you, take communion, pray where you're at in your, in your seats. You know, if you ever have been like, oh, I've been led astray by all these freaky arguments, you know, you can believe and know that what has been handed to you is true and right and good. Uh, we're going to worship God through communion, these offering boxes on the side wall and in the very back. And we worship, and we worship through giving simply because God gave so much to us. And so we give back. Uh, we're going to worship God through fellowship. You guys get to hang out. I saw Patty bringing some food, so there's some food in the back and some refreshments. You can eat some more popcorn. Maybe you can eat some refreshments and like get the kernels out of your teeth that are stuck in there. <laughs> uh, and hang out and get to know each other and, and spur one another on towards you know, this, this life that we are called to live. And lastly, uh, we're going to worship God also through prayer. There will be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer... I would encourage you to seek them out. You want to know who Jesus is? You seek, Jesus, you seek them out and have them introduce you to who Jesus Christ is. If you've got stuff going on in your life, you pray with them and let them help you to follow who Christ is in your life. Jesus is real and he is good and he has come and he has made it so that redemption is possible for all people. All people. And that is the beauty of the gospel. That is the beauty of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I do ask that we as a people would worship you, that we would trust you and the things that you have said. And then when there are things that we don't understand, we would still trust. That we would seek out answers, but that we would trust you. And that we wouldn't just be a people who can answer all the questions, but we could be a people who live our lives in such a way that you are vividly on display. God, the, the whole world has run off after so many bizarre arguments. And yet you 
have come in the person of Christ to run after the entire world. And you offer hope and life and truth. And I do ask that this morning we would be those people who live and walk and live in your truth. That has been handed to us by your faithful witnesses and been made alive in us through the life of your Son. Thank you for being our good God. Amen.